right, everybody catch your breath after the glorious. Good to see you. Hey, grab your Bible. We're jumping right into Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Uh, find it however you need to, whether it's a hard copy Bible. We'll have it on the screen. If you have a Bible app, turn there with me. Shout out to those of you online watching on the live stream. Pastor Ian put a lot of work in this week getting the live stream audio fixed. So hopefully right now they can hear us really well. If you can hear us really well, type in the chat, all caps. We love you, Pastor Ian. Thank you for all your hard work. If the sound quality is not better, you can send Ian an email. Uh, Pastor Ian, we need to have coffee. Okay, great. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us. And so we pray that you would, by your spirit, give us open eyes and open ears uh, to hear from you this morning. God, would you speak as we come to your word? Would you guide us, help us know how to apply these truths to our lives? We pray these things for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, well, we just read and heard from Luke chapter 2, the events of that first Christmas, a story that maybe you are quite familiar with. We hear of the shepherds and angels and all these events surrounding the birth of Christ. There's so much that we could say here, so much we could dive into, but for the past few weeks, we've been looking at this story through the lens of preparation where we've tried to notice how do the people in the chapters of Scripture prepare for and respond to the arrival of Jesus? And then how can we thus prepare our hearts to encounter Jesus this season? We thought, wouldn't it be tragic if we prepare our homes and decorate our cookies and prepare our Christmas tree and jump through all those hoops without preparing our hearts to encounter Jesus and worship him this Christmas season. 
And so we've talked about different ways we can prepare our hearts. A few weeks ago, we talked about preparing with faith. And we looked at Mary and the angel coming to her with this announcement that she would give birth to a son. And we see that she responds with faith. Even though this thing that she's told seems impossible, she believes and says, count me in. We talked about last week how we need to prepare with repentance, right? We looked at John the Baptist, and he's calling out, prepare the way, get ready. Jesus is coming. And part of preparation is looking inward at our hearts and seeing what crooked way in our hearts needs to be straightened out, how we need to repent and turn from our sin to more fully welcome Jesus into our lives. This morning, we're going to talk about preparation, but we're going to talk about preparing with curiosity. Now, I know that that maybe sounds like a bit of a surprise. Like, are we sure curiosity makes it that high on the list of ways to prepare? I mean, it's not necessarily one of those great Christian virtues, right? Faith and hope and love and Curiosity. You know, does it really belong here? And I admit that as I was praying and preparing for this sermon series, I was a bit surprised that curiosity made the list. Maybe some of you are here and you're even nervous about the mention of curiosity from up front. Isn't this asking for trouble? Isn't curiosity responsible for killing felines and other difficult circumstances? But I couldn't get around this simple observation from Luke chapter 2 in the text that we're going to see, that curiosity is here for us to see. So we're going to get to that. But first, I want you to see how the story unfolds in Luke chapter 2. We, of course, read about the context here in the birth of Jesus. Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem to be counted and registered for the Roman Empire's census. And while there, Mary gives birth to her son, Jesus. She lays him in a manger because there's no proper room ready for them to stay. This is the story that we spent the last two nights as a church family telling, right, with the our journey to Bethlehem event. We were all dressed up and retelling the story of that first Christmas. Had a great time doing that with you all. Thank you again, as, as Carlene said, to everyone who helped out. We were retelling the true story of that first Christmas. But I want you to look closely at what happens after the birth of Christ. We're introduced to these characters, the shepherds, in verse 9. Excuse me, verse 8. Look at it with me. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So verse 9 tells us, excuse me, verse 8 and 9, that right after Jesus is born, nearby in the fields, there are these shepherds living and watching over their sheep by night. If you went on the journey to Bethlehem, you probably stopped at the home with the shepherds, or maybe you were one of the shepherds. I drove by in my car, the shepherds, this weekend, and I said, hey, I'm preaching about you guys on Sunday. And they said, great, fantastic. Uh, so these shepherds are keeping watch over their sheep. Now, if you don't know about shepherds in the ancient world, there are a few details to the story here that would be helpful to know. Shepherds were not thought of super highly, okay? At best, at best, shepherds were just ordinary people 
unimpressive. But at worst, there was this kind of negative stigma around them. They were looked down upon maybe by the cultural elites or by the religious professionals because shepherds, uh, because of their profession, weren't always able to engage in the religious activities of the day. And so uh, the religious people kind of looked down on them as questionable. There were some moral questions about their character. Some commentators say they're known for uh, stealing and theft. And so there's all kinds of question marks surrounding these shepherds. I mean, at best, they're just unimpressive, ordinary, everyday kind of people. So they're not the movers and shakers of the day, right? They're not the cultural elites. They're not uh, those in power or those with great influence. And so it's remarkable that this announcement of the birth of the Savior comes first to them. Right? It doesn't show up, uh, this announcement, this angel, uh, this one angel and then this multitude of angels. They don't go to Jerusalem, to the capital, and announce the birth of Jesus. They don't go to the really important places, some royal palace. Before the Magi even arrive, these wise men from the east that we know are part of the story, which comes sometime later, they come with gifts of royalty. But before they're on the scene, we have shepherds, ordinary lowly, reminding us right away of the simple truth that the power of the gospel is not reserved for those with status and wealth and power and influence by human standards. The message of the gospel, the birth of Christ, invites us all to come and worship, especially those who are ordinary, overlooked, lowly. The shepherds may be ordinary, but the message that they receive is anything but. Right? Look again at verse 10. This is what the angel says to them. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. So this announcement is incredible. The angel comes announcing what good news of great joy. That word good news in the ancient world often was associated with a ruler, with Caesar, an emperor, and some kind of powerful victory that a leader would win for their people. And it would be announced as good news of peace and joy, especially for Caesar in the Roman Empire, the people, the, the, the cult of emperor worship in the first century in the ancient world was rampant. And so people were taught to celebrate the good news of Caesar and his birth and his victory and peace that he brought to the people. But the angel here speaks into that world, announcing that the good news is not ultimately about Caesar and the peace and victory that he brings, but the good news is about this Jesus, a savior, what the people of God have been waiting for, for generations, a Messiah to come and bring about true peace, true justice, true salvation. And now they receive this announcement today the Savior is born. Now, if that isn't enough, an angel announcing this, notice what happens next to the shepherds in verse 
13. They get another word from heaven. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So we do not have just one angel now, but we have what? A company of the heavenly host, a multitude of heavenly beings declaring the praises of God. That word host in scripture is actually a military term. So if you read in the Old Testament about the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, it's not talking about God and those who can throw great dinner parties. Okay, the Lord of hosts is Lord of armies. So we have angel armies here on the scene. Mighty in power and battle is the Lord. And these angel armies are declaring the praise of God, announcing peace. Isn't that interesting? An army announcing peace in the name of God. Because that night, this night, the plan of salvation is unfolding as God himself, right? The text tells us the Lord would come. He was born. The shepherds were hearing about this profound mystery of the incarnation, right? the doctrine of the incarnation, God in the flesh, where we see in scripture the teaching that God himself, the eternal son of God, takes on humanity in the person of Jesus of Nazareth and is born a thousand times in history, it's been said, a baby has become a king, but only once has a king become a baby. This is what we see that first Christmas. Now, we're going to talk about the shepherds in just a moment and how they respond to this announcement. They have a good example for us to follow. I think there's things we can learn from the shepherds. And yet the main point of the story and of this announcement is not about the shepherds. And so I want to slow down here and look at really the heart of the message. I don't want us to leave this morning only thinking about the shepherds. I want us to see really the deeper truths here because the heart of the message and the announcement, the heart of this sermon, really the heart of scripture is what we see in verses 10 and 11, what we just read. The announcement of good news that a Savior is born. Again, good news. It doesn't say, hey, good news, a great teacher has been born. Or good news, a great moral example for you to follow has been born. Although Jesus is both of those things. But the angel says good news because a Savior has been born. A rescuer. Meaning, you and I needed to be rescued, to be saved from sin and death and judgment and hell. So I want you to think about this morning, what it means to be a Christian. Think about this morning, what it means to be a Christian. Think about your story. Because often we don't always reflect and understand just this basic doctrine of conversion. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's not just that we want our life to be cleaned up a little bit. We have some rough edges that need to be smoothed out. And so we apply the teachings of the Bible and it helps us, you know, kind of be a better person. 
our story is not, you know, I was a pretty good person, but I was a little bit selfish. And then in my older age, you know, I started to take uh, church a little more seriously. And so I started showing up and that was, that was good for me. My story is that I needed a buddy and Jesus was my buddy and I kind of liked some of his sayings and so I put some of his verses around my house and, you know, that makes me feel good. Or I want to go to heaven and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just like kind of go to church a little bit more and hope that like eventually, you know, I'll kind of like make my way in and, you know, if I participate in kind of the social gatherings of the church enough or I was kind of lonely and I just needed some friends and so, you know, church kind of provided that for me. Those things aren't necessarily bad, but that's not the heart of what it means to be a Christian, right? What is our testimony if we're Christians? It's, I was dead and lost. I was a slave to sin. I was so caught up in myself and my selfish ways. And God sent his son, Jesus, to rescue me, to save me. The word, a savior is born. He came to save me, to redeem me, to purchase my freedom, to buy me out of slavery, to pay for my sin through his death on the cross, to rise again so that I might, in his name and through faith in him, have new life and be given a new heart. Right? It's because of the mercy of God I've been saved and rescued from my own sin and judgment before a holy God. So friends, we have to get the heart of the message right. And so if I could just sit down with each of you over coffee, this is what I would really hope that you see from the scriptures. We need a savior. And this isn't just about some tips and tricks to kind of clean up your rough edges of your life. We need a rescuer. And friends, you see this even in verse 10, right? What does the angel come announcing? Good news. It, we've talked about this before. The angel doesn't come announcing, announcing good advice. Right? Hey, I found some new ways to clean up your life. Good advice for you to follow some, some better rules and just, you know, here's some more information. No, good news. Good news. That, that means it's, it's, a, it's an announcement, a proclamation of something that has been done for you. It's not, hey, here's what you need to go and do. It's here's what has been done, what has been accomplished through Jesus. So friends, we need to remember the good news of the gospel, what Christ came to do for us. And through faith in him, we can receive forgiveness and eternal life in his name. So now that we got that settled, we can look at our friends, the shepherds, and learn a thing or two from them. Right? Because as we look at what happens next in the story, we probably wonder, like, what are the shepherds going to do? Okay, they're out in the fields. Maybe they're a little bit tired. Maybe they're counting their sheep, trying to go to sleep. I don't know. And the angel shows up with this announcement, and then a whole host of angels shows up singing the praises of God. And you might wonder, okay, what happens next? Because how people respond to angels in the story so far is not a guarantee. Right, we have Zechariah in chapter 1, as we saw, the angel shows up to him and tells him, hey, your wife is going to give birth, even though she's old. And, and his response is one of really unbelief and questioning in a kind of prove-it-to-me sort of way. And what happens to him? He gets zapped, right? And God's like, hey, you can't talk until uh, your son is born. True story, go read about it. Luke chapter 1. And then we see Mary, an angel appears to Mary, and she responds with great 
faith and says, as the reading from earlier showed, she says, hey, may your word to me be fulfilled. I am the servant of the Lord. So she responds with great faith. And so now we reach these shepherds. We wonder, okay, well, what are they going to do? How are they going to respond? Maybe they're tired. Again, maybe they're kind of busy. Maybe they got a big day ahead of them the next day. It's already laid out. They're like, okay, this Savior's been born in Bethlehem, but, that, you know, it's nearby, but I, I don't really want to go on some, you know, kind of mystery tour to find the Savior and looking in barns and stuff. I'm just going to stay here and go to sleep. I don't know. Let's, let's read on. Okay, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Love it. How do they respond? They say, let's go to Bethlehem and see. So with, with haste, right away, they're, they're excited. There's an eagerness to say, let's go check this out, verse 15 tells us. And I know maybe that sounds like a small observation from the text, you know, like a simple thing to note. But I don't think we can overlook this because, again, their response is not guaranteed. And so the fact that they hear this announcement, they say, hey, let's, let's go check it out. That's important, right? Because they weren't, if you notice in the text, there's not a command. They say, hey, you need to go and do this. It's kind of open-ended. This angel say, hey, there's going to be a sign for you if you go and see. But they're not told directly, hey, you need to go and do this. So I would argue that it's curiosity here. They're saying, okay, I want to go and see. This seems important, so I want to go and check this out. And they go even without all the details. You notice that? They're told this baby is born in Bethlehem, which, again, is nearby to where they are, the text tells us. And it's not a huge town, you know, by modern standards, but they're told they're going to find a baby in a manger. But guess what? There's probably more than one manger in Bethlehem. And so how are they don't have Google Maps you know, or with like an address that they can plug into their iPhone to take them to the right manger. And maybe you're thinking, well, the star, the star guided them. Well, I'm not sure we can be confident of that. Matthew chapter two mentions a star. If you go and read Matthew chapter two, it talks about the wise men, the magi from the East who come to worship Jesus. But that's likely not the night Jesus was born. They don't likely... Uh, no. <laughs> oh, baby. All right. We're back. Okay. So, point being, they have to stumble around. Maybe they woke up some goats, woke up some cows. Maybe they met some angry neighbors along the way. But eventually, the text tells us they find Mary and Joseph. And if you're like, hey, pastor, there was a star that guided them. You bring your Bible. Come talk to me after the service. You can try and prove me wrong. I'm open to the conversation. It's like, well, I don't think the shepherds had the, the blessing of a star to guide them. So anyways, they go. And remember what the angel said. This is key back in verse 12. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so notice this talk of a sign. When do they receive the sign? It's after they go and explore and investigate. And so they're not met up front with, hey, there will be a sign to you. And actually, I'm going to give it to you right now so you can see it. They actually have to take some steps to go and discover it. And it's once they go to Bethlehem, they find the baby. And so often we do the opposite. And we say, you know what, God, if you would show up kind of in this box, in my terms, meet me, you know, jump through my hoops, answer me in this way, then I'll believe. But God says, no, actually, yeah, I'll show you who I am. But you might have to take some steps first. The shepherds go and check it out. And so I would argue, friends, that that curiosity, that an openness to next steps is sometimes necessary before belief. But sometimes before we put our faith in Christ, we need to have uh, some time where we're like, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but I want to know more. I have this sense of being drawn to Jesus. And so I want to read what the scriptures have to say. I want to have conversations. I have some questions. I want to work through those with people I trust. And at times, unfortunately, the church um, has sometimes shut down curiosity or questions. I don't know, maybe if you've been in an experience like that where you've had questions and you feel like maybe you've never quite gotten a good answer to them. And maybe you've been told by people that, hey, don't don't ask that. Don't worry about that. Just like simple faith. Just, just believe. Don't worry about that. You know, the life of the mind's not important. Just put it. There is a place, right, where we do exercise faith beyond what we can, can see. That's the essence of faith. But there are good answers to a lot of your questions. And the Lord invites us to say, come and see, come and study and read and learn. And let's discuss and reason together. That's a healthy process. And so as we begin this Advent season, Christmas here, 2021, I want to encourage us to be like the shepherds and prepare with with curiosity. Say, you know what, Lord, I'm open to what you are doing in my life. I'm open to believing that maybe there's more going on here than I can see right at this moment. Now, an important qualifier here, the curiosity is, believe in light of these shepherds, in response to what the Lord has said, in response to an invitation from God. And so you see in verse 15, the shepherds say, hey, let's, let's go and see what the Lord has made known to us. And so I'm not talking about just curiosity in any direction for any reason. You see, there are times where the Lord comes to us, invites us, we hear his word and we say, you know what, in response to this, I'm going to take a step to come and learn more. Because today, let's, let's be honest, it's easy for us to become cynical, closed off to the things of God, thinking that we know everything where we're not willing to be surprised anymore by God. Right? Have you grown cynical? Have you maybe uh, lost a sense of, of trusting other people? Lacking hope in various situations, right? When you're cynical, you essentially say, you know what? I know how things are going to go. And let me tell you, they're not going to go very well. In fact, author Kerry Newhoff has linked curiosity with being cynical as opposites. 
How often if we're curious, we're not too cynical, but if we're cynical, we stop asking questions. We stop being curious. We stop being open. And he uses the example of kids. Think about the kids in your life. As children, we're all curious. We want to know. We ask why kids right, get into stuff, even when it's messy and dangerous, and they shouldn't. They, they want to know and explore. They're open to wonder and awe. It seems like life for them is just full of untold possibilities that they want to find out. But as we grow, right, we get older, a little crustier sometimes. And we say, you know what? I know what's possible and what's not possible. I know what's going to work and what doesn't work. I know what things aren't possible. And maybe we're just a little jaded by by our past or our wounds. Say, you know what? I've been hurt before. I've been burned before. And so we stop trusting. And we just assume that the next experience, the next relationship is going to be just like the last one. And it's going to fail and not work. So maybe we need, we need, again, this season to restore our curiosity, our openness to say, let's go and see what the Lord is up to. Let me return to his word and this message of the gospel that maybe I've heard before, but I've never really stepped into fully. Or maybe I have questions and I've never really spent time asking them with people who might have answers. And again, I would argue curiosity is a few steps before faith, where we say simply, again, maybe there's more here than I realized. Again, if you if you are still nervous about the whole curiosity thing, and you're like, this path, he's lost it. He's lost. let me let me let me. I think when we look at the Gospels, we see this because we see with the disciples, right? We read about the disciples, those guys following Jesus. And do they usually have it all like put together and figured out? No, they're like fumbling through stuff, making mistakes, chopping ears off, rebuking Jesus. They're doing, you know, they're missing the boat all the time. And yet we see that there are some who, who hang in there and continue to follow. And there are others who reach a point where they're like, you know, I've seen enough. This, this is not the guy. He's not the Savior. I'm going to go off, you know, back to my own life and career and, and do whatever. But then there are the disciples who say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stay with Jesus. Where else can we go? Some of them say, right? Because they're open. They're saying, I might not have all the answers here. I might not have it all figured out. But I know I need to stick with Jesus. Or it makes me think of Jesus' own invitation to come and see, right? Before he says, come and see, he'll say, uh, or excuse me, before he says, follow me to some of his disciples, he'll say, come and see. There's this initial invitation. Come, spend time with me. Bring your questions. Let's share a meal together. And then eventually there's this invitation to follow. But first, again, there's this, this invitation to explore. Or we think of Acts chapter 17 as the gospel comes to the Bereans. Remember that story? And it says the Bereans examine the scriptures to see if these things are true. So Paul's preaching the gospel and there's not initially a response, or excuse me, or a, a reception of the gospel saying, hey, we believe we're in. There's this examining of the scriptures. Is this true? Is this real? Are we sure? There's a time spent exploring, curious about what God is saying. And so maybe you're here this morning and that's the step that you need to take. I'm going to be open once again. 
I'm not going to be you know, narrow in my view of what's possible. I'm going to stay open to maybe what God might be saying to me this Christmas and through his word. Or maybe you're here and you need to extend that same space to someone in your life. Right? Sometimes, again, we expect conversion immediately. You share the gospel, someone believes, boom, and we're on our way. And sometimes, by the grace of God, that happens. But sometimes we, all, we take time, right? Many conversations and questions and going to the scripture time and again before we believe. So I want to invite you to consider what that might look like for you this season. To, like the shepherds, remain open to what God is saying. Maybe for you, if you're here this morning, you're like, I, I'm, you know, new to church, or I'm not, I'm not sure I'm a Christian, or I'm, you know, just first time in the door. We have a resource we call our gospel intro. There's some orange books on the back wall by the TV on your way out. Uh, those are free. We'd love to just give those to you. It's a, a great uh, resource. It's a book by Tim Keller and then a kind of a reading guide to walk you through it. And uh, would love to just give that to you as our gift. If you're like, I'd love to explore what the message of the gospel is either for the first time or I'm returning to church or I'm just curious. We'd love to put that in your hands. So feel free on your way out to grab a copy of that as our gift to you. And I want you to see back in Luke chapter two, what happens after the shepherds take this step. Look at verse 16. What do they discover? It says, They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the shepherds, in response to hearing the angels, they go to Bethlehem, they find the baby, they share this message that they were told by the angels. Everyone is amazed, and it tells us in verse 20 again, they find things just as they had been told. The Lord's word to them was found to be true. But it was only after they took that step to go and see that they discovered that. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just want to close our time together by looking to you and celebrating this good news of great joy for all people. That, that you, Jesus, are the Savior. That you were born... You lived the perfect life that we could never live, and you died the death that we deserved for our sin in our place so that we could be forgiven, adopted into your family, redeemed, given new hearts and eternal life. And so, Jesus, we worship you. And I pray just for anyone here this morning who has questions, who maybe hears this message, this announcement, and isn't quite sure. Lord, I pray that you would uh, prompt them to take next steps, to grab a gospel intro, to ask someone they're close to uh, the stumbling blocks or barriers or questions that they have, to come up after the service for prayer. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, do your work in each of us. And I pray that like children, we would be open with curiosity and wonder and awe to the, uh, the power of, and the beauty of the gospel. It help us remain open to your voice and what you want to do in our lives. 
It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.